So um, today we're joined by Stephanie Taddeo from COPC. Stephanie is a social work care coordinator um, for COPC. Welcome to the Service Coordinator Podcast, Stephanie. Um, how many podcasts have you been on so far? Oh, thank you. I'm, gl- I'm glad to be here. Um, I've been on the radio. Remember the radio? I've, oh. I've done that a few times, but I, this might be my first podcast. <laughs> wow. The ra- well, that, the radio is live, so that, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's intense. So yeah, if, if we say something wrong or bad words or whatever, we can just cut them out. So don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> good because I do th- I do that a lot so that's oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we can bleep it out all right well welcome <laughs> to the show um as you know uh we talk to service coordinators all over the country um about their work their work with seniors and uh, Matt said you would be a great person to bring on today about talk about end-of-life care about hospice care um with seniors um my family just went through uh, this whole scenario uh, all summer long, so I'm very familiar with the hospice experience, which was great. Um, but throughout the years here at National Church Residences, 15 years or so, it's always been uh, the hot topic that's off to the side. Like, how do we get hospice into our buildings because it's such a tough discussions for service coordinators to have um, because it's typically just a service coordinator and that that resident sometimes there's not family involved to help that resident make those um, tough decisions uh, maybe the phys- physician's not there to really have that long conversation with them and so it does come back to the service coordinator a lot of times so Matt and I thought we would uh, bring you on to, to kind of give some tips and ideas and maybe go a little bit more in depth about how uh, service coordinators might be able to bring up these conversations with residents that could really use the care. So welcome to the show, number one. So uh, Matt, do you want to um, start off with the, the first question? What, what, what are you uh, thinking of asking? Well, the first, I mean, thank you for setting that up because you basically summarized exactly what we'd love Stephanie to give us her insight on. But before we get into having that conversation, I still think that there's a lot of confusion regarding what is palliative care versus what is hospice and how they work together and how both both types of care might really empower an older adult who frankly lives in one of our affordable housing um, apartment buildings to truly, uh, how do I say this, live the entire live their entire life there because so many of our residents will look you in the eye and go, I want out of here feet first. I don't want to go anywhere else. This is where I want to be for my entire life. So if you could talk for a few minutes about palliative care versus hospice and how either of those could really help support that wish of aging in place, that'd be a great start. Absolutely. So palliative care is like a big umbrella. So, um, you know, Matt, you and I have been doing this long enough Then we can remember when that wasn't even a specialty that physicians could choose or there wasn't a board certification in it. Right. Now, um, physicians can get special training in palliative care. And the broadest way to describe what is palliative care is the goal of palliative care is to alleviate or prevent suffering. So who could be against that, right? <laughs> That's a no-brainer. We all, um, 
we're all in favor of reducing or eliminating suffering. Um, and so there are physicians that specialize in it. There are whole teams that specialize in it. And that's my role at Central Ohio Primary Care now as I work on a home-based um, um, palliative care team, a team that has palliative care physicians and nurse practitioners. But it's not just about the medical because when we talk about suffering, it's more, you know, we're, we're more than empty shells, right? We're more than um, walking carcasses. Um, so we have me, social work, um, and my, my social work partners. We have nurses. Um, it's looking at the whole person and the whole picture, not just about their body. So anyone who has serious um, illness or has unmanaged symptoms is appropriate for palliative care. Um, hospice, on the other hand, is a program. So palliative medicine is like cardiology or nephrology, um, you know, when we have these different kinds of specialty physicians. But hospice is a government program. Medicare defines it. Even if you have private insurance, Medicare still defines it. Um, and if a patient um, has less than six months to live, and we know that prognoses are uh, an art and not a science, and sometimes, um, sometimes they're not right, but if two physicians agree they have a prognosis of six months or less, and very importantly, that they, they want what hospice has got to offer, they believe in the philosophy of hospice, then they can elect that benefit. And that benefit comes with a lot of stuff. It comes with a team, it comes with someone on call 24 seven, equipment, medicine. Um, so that's a program. Hospice is palliative care, but palliative care isn't necessarily hospice. Palliative care is broader and it encompasses, um, you know, th that relief of symptoms. So like on my team right now, we have patients who have a very serious illness, like they've had COPD for years, they have heart failure for years, and um, they're not getting better. The, the chance of getting well is, is not an option, but my team can help them feel better. Um, we have patients who have cancer, who um, want to keep doing chemo. And, and the oncologist has said, yes, let's keep doing chemo. There's more, there's more chemo, there's more radiation. Maybe they want surgery, but they still have those symptoms of cancer, whether it's pain, nausea and vomiting, issues with their skin, anxiety, depression. Um, those symptoms can still be aggressively managed while someone is getting aggressive curative treatment. Um, so that, um, that's kind of the difference between palliative and hospice. Both believe in treating the whole person, but hospice is for patients and families who say, I don't want to go back to the hospital no matter what. And I um, and, a, and a physician has told me I have six months or less prognosis, educated guess. Um, and, and palliative care can, can be way broader than that. Some palliative patients also don't want to go back to the hospital. And that's what I think for your service coordinators, 
I've never been a service coordinator, but I can imagine that a lot of the residents say, I don't want to go to the hospital. Um, hospitals are not pleasant places. I was just in one recently with my mom and it's terrible. <laughs> There's nothing, I, I'm glad they exist. <laughs> People need to be there. Um, but is that what you find um, with your service coordinators that they hear that a lot, I would assume? Yes, and I think, and I think you've, you've alluded to this, Stephanie, in that so much of the time when you have an older adult who's a resident, and maybe they have some chronic conditions. Usually, not always, but a, at the more that disease process goes on, every time they go to the hospital, when they're discharged, they actually feel worse right. than when they went in. So exactly. they start associating feeling really bad with going to the hospital. And frankly, in many cases, that association is quite accurate. So even though they're, that's a great point, we have residents who don't want to go to the hospital. They're not medically eligible for hospice, uh -huh. yet they don't want to go to the hospital. And it's almost always about symptom management. You know, uh -huh. like you said, the chronic obstructive pulmonary disease where they have an exacerbation or congestive heart failure where they're moving into heart failure. And I'm assuming physiologically, those are some of the things that a palliative program would address, correct? For sure, for sure. So um, if the patient and family's goal is to avoid hospitalization, then our job as a palliative care team is to say, let us help you make that happen. Like what medical things can we do, um, which might be medicine or equipment or education about, oh, hey, when your weight goes up this many pounds, you know, you call us. Um, but it's also what services are they eligible for? How can we um, wrap them up, you know, give them and their caregivers the support they need to, to make, to meet that goal if it is to stay out of the hospital. And, and for most people it is um, because like you said, they come home feeling not better, oftentimes worse. But we also see with older adults if, if they have even a little cognitive impairment, like they might get along just fine when they're in their house with their people. <laughs> um, but a hospitalization can really um, move that mild cognitive impairment into a delirium where they just don't feel like themselves. Right. Um, their cognition, it takes them a long time to get back to baseline once they get home. So um, I think the number one thing for your care coordinators to understand um, is, or service coordinators say, um, is that there are options. So many of these patients have not been told, you know what, it's your choice. Um, you don't have to go back to the emergency room. You don't have to go back to the hospital, but you need to have things in place to make that goal a reality. Physicians no, no, have different... I yeah, physicians have different levels of comfort about having those discussions or looking ahead to, oh gosh, I can really see this patient going to the hospital again in a month, three months, six months. Let's talk to them about, do they wanna do that? And if not, what do they need to, to be able to make that happen? 
I, I mean, your segue is beautiful. I think you're setting yourself up, Stephanie, which brings really to the next point. Once we understand the difference between palliative care and hospice and what the goals of those are, programs are, or approaches or type of care versus program. Can you, can you help um, our service coordinators with what I'm gonna call some tools, some guidance based upon your years of experience. Yes, we know you started in end of life care when you were 12, that's what we're gonna tell people. But um, openers, how do you begin that conversation? Because I really think so much of it is just beginning the conversation. And once it's out there, it kind of, and I could be wrong, but I get the impression it kind of naturally flows. But how do you, how do you as that psychosocial expert raise that question? Number one is listening. So um, I spend a lot of time telling myself to um, be quiet. <laughs> That's good for anyone to do. <laughs> um, but when the older adult is talking about their emergency room experience or saying, they'll take me out of here feet first, or, um, you know, we have older adults who are really clear about they, what they want and don't want. Um, so listening to that and then asking them to clarify it. So are you saying, you know, under, or under what circumstances would you want to go back to the emergency room or hospital? And then it's really about the service coordinator knowing the resources. Is there a palliative program? What's palliative like in your neck of the woods? So it's still an emerging field and programs vary wildly. What I can tell you in whatever market your service coordinators are in, there's not enough. Like there's no competition among palliative care. Everyone's like, yay, come on, everybody do it. So, the so is this, I'm going to jump in right there. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, so, please. so is the palliative care program, is this something a, a, a doctor's got to decide, hey, I want to bring this into my practice, or this is what I want to be trained upon, and then I'll bring staff in underneath me? I mean, so it's, it's kind of a, an ordeal for a physician to say, yes, let's go ahead and move forward with this. Is, is that why there's not many out there, or it's just more still, it's just an emerging type of field within that? It's an emerging field. Um, physicians themselves depends on what system they're affiliated with. You know, there aren't many standalone uh, docs anymore. People don't have their own practices, not zero, but not right. many. So um, the, the physician should be familiar with the options in their system, if they're affiliated with a hospital system or like with COPC, you know, we're, we're physician owned, um, everyone's doing it a little different. So that physician needs to know what options there are. Another thing that's emerging, and I am not an expert on this because it's a really new thing, but insurance companies, Medicare Advantage companies are now hiring palliative care providers to do visits um, to the patients they insure. And the goal is exactly what we're talking about. Somebody who's really comfortable having this conversation, go talk to the patient and family and say, hey, tell me about your goals. Like, is this okay with you? Um, what's your line in the sand? Sometimes we say like, 
patients will say, well, I want everything done unless I can't work in my garden or unless I can't um, spend quality time with the people I love or I can't watch my favorite show. Everybody has different <laughs> lines in the sand. Right. Um, but it, it does take some comfort in having that conversation. I wouldn't expect the service coordinator to be able to take a resident from A to Z. What I think would be great is if the service coordinator hears the, the resident, because um, they know them, they see them, they have conversations with them, and um, they see a decline in the, in the patient or they know about calling 911 or hospitalizations or, you know, zillions of specialty appointments and the care the the service coordinator can say to the resident um how's it going like do you do you feel like people are asking you what you want and if they're not um what do you want is this okay do you want to keep going back and forth to the hospital or do you want to talk to someone who can walk you through the options to reduce or avoid that from happening or patients who have um, a lot of discomfort, a lot, they, they have a lot of suffering. Hey, are you interested um, in finding out what resources there are to address the complaint, you know, whatever the service coordinator is hearing about? Um, because opening that door, so many people are not asked. They, they go to specialists, like, um, and specialists like are, are trained to treat the thing, right, that they specialize in. And, um, you know, a palliative care provider looks at, oh my gosh, you see all these different specialists and here you are in the center. Is that, are, is this okay with you? Or, or are you just following orders? You know, are you being directed or are you directing the care that you're receiving and anything a service coordinator can do to say, hey, this is your life. What do you want? How can I help you get, you know, get the services you need so that you can live it the way you want to within the bounds of reality? You know, we're not magic, but I think that would be a huge gift that a service coordinator could give a resident. Um, I also think it's really important for your service coordinators to understand that, um, of course, our, our history, our background um, influences how we feel and think about such things. So uh, another reason I tell myself to be quiet <laughs> is um, to, be, to be able to empathize and try to walk in that resident's shoes. So they, they might have perceptions of systems that I don't have. They might have values that I don't have, and that's okay. Um, you know, in the team I'm on now, some of our patients have metastatic cancer that is not going to be cured, and they want to go out swinging. You know, they want to go to the hospital over and over again. That's okay. They want to keep doing the chemo that makes them sick, and we have to suspend our values and say, we're in it with you. Like, okay, we hear you. And we're gonna continue to try um, to help make you as comfortable as possible, even you know, with that decision that you've made to continue the aggressive curative treatment. Um, but 
you know, it, it's hard to keep all the things in mind, but, um, you know, our, the culture that we grow up in, um, the religion that we're raised in or that we practice now, our immigration or, or refugee status, those are all things. Um, the system is not equally kind to all people. And um, so the service coordinator should understand that it might not be what you think the person should do, but be open-minded to, you know, oh, you're, you know, standing in your shoes, I see that maybe hospice is a bad word. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I, like I said, I, I dealt with this, you know, over the last six months to a year with my parents and I, you bring up the word hospice with, with my dad or my mom, it was like, hey, totally given up. You know, we're not, we're not taking any more pills. And right. what came down to it was, you know, it's like, hey, do I want to keep on going in and out of the hospital nonstop? And, you know, they're getting emails from one doctor saying, do this. And another doctor, do. I mean, probably five different doctors. And, and it just finally came down to like, hey, my mom said, I don't want to take 20 pills every day. That was all, you know, that was the conversation, right. but that was her line in the sand. Hey, that was yeah. her line in the sand. And we really didn't know what that was. It was just kind of like, we were just waiting. So I think that's great advice to listen and say, Hey, what exactly do you want to just keep going till the end or what? Cause right. there are other things we can do. So, so right. that's great advice. So no, no, no. And I, and, and I reiterate that too. I think so much of the time, no one really asks, the patient what they want. Everyone makes the assumption, well, this is standard plan of care. So this is what we're going to do. And no okay. one says, this is what we're thinking about doing. How do you feel about that? And is this really going to achieve what you're hoping to accomplish? Mm -hmm. So I think that's beautiful. And so much of the time, our service coordinators, and you, you uh, implied this, Stephanie, they have a unique relationship with these residents because they see them day in and day out and they can have these conversations ongoing about what the patient, or excuse me, what the resident might really want. And, and I suspect and confirm or deny this, that sometimes what people want, it actually changes throughout the disease process. Sure. It could take one event to be like, oh, no, I thought I wanted this, but no, I'm, that was really unpleasant. I don't want to Never do mind. Yes. I love that, Matt, because I think when we say goals of care conversation, there should always be an S. Like it yes, always needs to be goal of conversations because holy smokes, like it takes me you know, how many conversations does it take me to decide where I'm going to dinner? Like, this is important. This is, this is not dinner. This is important. So to, to see someone, you know, to be in a building where you can see someone and the person can, you know, you can have a little conversation and then time away and then have a little conversation and then time away. That is a beautiful opportunity to allow the resident the time and space to really consider, mm -hmm. to really think, to um, to consult, you know, who who are who who do they need to talk to? Maybe nobody. Maybe, mm -hmm. you know, the kids, the pastor, the neighbor, the <laughs> oh. there, there, there could be um, lots of people involved in that oh. decision. Oh. 
Right. No, and I, I think, again, we have such a unique opportunity as service coordinators because we see those residents day in and day out and can have a five-minute conversation versus a 20-minute conversation, depending upon what the needs of that, what's going on, how that resident is processing. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I think it's, I think it's uh, much more uh, approachable from a service coordinator's perspective because it's not, as you say, it's not the conversation. It's a group of conversations that really can help a resident formulate what it is they really want. And especially if you're overcoming um, misconceptions. Yes. So if a resident is um, of a minority group that has historically been mistreated by the medical system, you can't just say like, oh no, it's fine. Mm-hmm. They're good, it's not like that. Yeah. Right. Oh, okay, let me just erase, you know, <laughs> generations of, yeah. Yeah. of, of or, or we will have to have an advanced care planning conversation. This is called a do not resuscitate. Oh, so you're going to tell me that I need to let my mom die. I mean, you're absolutely right. Those kinds of perceptions and understandings are part and parcel to the whole conversation. Yeah, we used to wish that we could call hospice palliative care. But now when you say palliative care, people just think of hospice. Like, like it didn't really work. Like, we can keep changing. What right. No, no. I always used to call it the H word. Yeah, you know too. what I mean? Because, it, mm-hmm. you know, it, it conjured up such, such, um, such emotions, which brings me to another point that I want to be sure we talk about. And that is, you brought up a really great piece of insight. And that was whether it's palliative care or the subset with under palliative care, which is this hospice program, Mm -hmm. you talked about we're more than just a shell. Could you talk for a few minutes about what I think is your expertise and some of the psychosocial challenges you see with patients as they begin processing you know, what they want or beginning to understand what they think they want, some of the experiences you've had and any insight you might be able to offer? The, the question I always try to remember to start with is tell me what you heard the doctor say. So I work on a team with physicians um, and nurse practitioners who I know what they charted that they said, <laughs> and, and it's, it's, it's reflective, mm-hmm. but I always start with, tell me what you heard, because that's a really intense, often a very intense conversation. So then again, be quiet, Stephanie, be quiet and listen. And, and then I measure what I know that the provider said with what the patient or family heard and understood. So that tells me a lot about their psychosocial um, perception. Like that tells me about, you know, when we talk, you, I mean, if we, we tease that out, so psycho, um, <laughs> psychological, um, you know, are there indicators that this has thrown them for a loop? It might not. They might have been really sick for a really long time and are relieved that someone finally has acknowledged what they already knew to be true. Yeah. But, um, 
you know, is there grief about their condition, grief about their prognosis, or um, you know, how old are they? We um, have patients that are a hundred plus, and they are the only ones left. So many patients say, I'm the only one left. They might have like 27 great grandchildren, but they have no cohort. They have no peers. So, you know, I try to look at um, grief for self or others that they've lost. Um, they're allowed to be sad. I don't believe in treating sadness. I believe in treating depression. <laughs> but if someone is sad, um, that's appropriate. I have had many, many patients and caregivers over the years apologize to me for crying. And when they do it, they're like furiously wiping, wiping. And, and, and I say, um, your sadness is 100% appropriate and you don't need to apologize to me. Moreover, um, you're not gonna hurt me because I'm not related to you. So you can be sad and, and I can take it. Um, if patients or families have anxiety, burnout, I mean, there's just a, a lot. Um, I, I have heard a lot about, you know, getting old and um, it's not all it's cracked up to be sometimes. <laughs> So, um, but what, you know, how are they reacting and, and what intervention might, might be helpful? I recommend a lot of counseling. Um, I have resources that if someone does have depression or complicated grief, um, anxiety, I don't believe that there's a pill for I don't matter. And mm -hmm. that's what a lot of are very ill older adults are feeling like I'm no longer able to do the things that made me feel like me, that made me feel like I'm contributing. And so that grief and loss and can be depression, um, there's no pill for that. So I recommend talk therapy a lot. Not everybody follows me, you know, does what I recommend, but. <laughs> Well, no, but I do think, and frankly, um, the way you describe, you know, complicated grief, you know, residents feeling like they don't really matter anymore, you basically summarize beautifully how many residents feel who live in our apartment buildings who are, you know, interacting with service coordinators all day long. I mean, that is, I mean... Are you sure you haven't been a service coordinator before? Because that's absolutely, <laughs> Dan, am I right? Is this no, not a service coordinator? No, the whole time I'm thinking, oh my gosh, we got to get counselors into our building. Right, and so many of our buildings. And unfortunately, I think you're bringing up a really good point. Sadness is not treated with a pill. Depression might be appropriate with a pill, but sometimes our healthcare system, a pill is just easier and much more accepting, accepted, and frankly, less effort than someone who has to actually, if I can use your word, listen to me and help me process through those things. Whereas a prescription, it's a breeze. Just take it and be quiet, right? Yeah, and we use lots of prescription. Um, you know, I, I'm not against 
um, psychotropic medication. Sure, sure. I'm on several myself. Oh, well. <laughs> I'll edit that out. I was waiting for that. <laughs> You're familiar um, with Hal Dahl, aren't you? <laughs> vitamin H. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm going to, before we wrap this up, for service coordinators, so their physician's not doing, doesn't have a palliative care program. So or, does that mean they have to go out and find one in their area program and then switch their primary care physician? What is that how, it, is that what it takes? And then my second part of that is so palliative care doesn't stop if somebody goes on to hospice. So those are my two questions there. The best way for service coordinators to find palliative care in their area and then also does it stop? The best way for service coordinators to find palliative care in their area is to know who, who the primary care physician is um, and have an idea of the major players in the area. So, um, you know, in Columbus, we have three big hospital systems and a really large physician-owned primary care practice that, you know, have um, all have palliative care programs of some sort. So yeah, it would be great um, to find that out. Now, if you have a resident who specifically has a certain kind of insurance, then you can help that, you know, that um, resident call the insurance to find out, do they have a special niche? Like, do they have a, a right. subset plan? Um, and, and then give, you know, the service coordinator can give the language to the resident like, hey, when do you see your PCP next? Mm. Um, and help them, you know, make notes. Um, you know, I, I'm experiencing these things and I understand that palliative medicine might be an option for me, doc. You know, what do you think? So yeah, prepping- It just, seem, just seems like such a, to have palliative care in place. And then when hot, that hospice discussion comes, it's like, oh, well, we'll just ask Stephanie. She'll help us with that conversation. And- you know, that conversation's easy instead of boom, all of a sudden you're hitting up against a conver uh, hospice conversation that nobody is ready to have or wants to have. So, right. so the I service think coordinators don't need to know all the ins and outs of like what's covered in the hospice Medicare benefit. But I, um, I think they should all have some experts on deck, mm -hmm. you know, that they can call or that they can link with the patient and or family. Um, you don't need to know all the things you just it, it's it's but it's important to know who knows all the things yeah yeah right uh, right so it's like that with with mental health like you know you you know somebody that you call when you need a counselor you know someone that you call when you need to know more about hospice um, I think it could just be part of their list of resources that they I know they already use all the time and then um, your question about does palliative care stop when hospice begins? Um, palliative care, hospice is palliative care. So depending on the program, you likely switch teams. You might not see the same people. You might, depending on the program, because some palliative hospice teams, um, you know, you could transition from one program into the next, but you will still have palliative care. Mm, right. Because even though not all palliative care is hospice, all hospice is palliative care. But you might have different 
team members. Gotcha. Gotcha. Matt, before we wrap up, do you have any questions for Stephanie? Are there any um, other questions? <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I want to be sure that we, that we've covered everything that you really think is most important, Stephanie. I mean, which I think this has been remarkable. Do you have any, I, I'll call them last words of wisdom to a service coordinator regarding having these types of conversations? Note I said conversations, I didn't say conversation. But besides that, any, any other um, words of wisdom or insight you might be able to offer? Um, I think for service coordinators to be willing to dip their little toe into this conversation would be a huge gift to the residents they serve. Mm -hmm. And I think if they start small, like most people are not super comfortable having these conversations. Um, you know, when I tell people what I do for a living, they back away from me. So. <laughs> Uh, like you choose to do what <laughs> but um for the service coordinators um even if they just say tell me about that hospitalization how did you feel afterwards has has anybody asked you what you want the next time this happens has anyone talked to you about do you want to, to go that hospital that emergency room or hospital route again so it's not about for me it's not about the service coordinators knowing all the things it's being willing to say oh my gosh I hear you that you want to go out of here feet first <laughs> and I, I go back to that because I've heard that like a million times in my mm -hmm. career I heard you that you want to go out of here feet first how how do you think I can help you make that goal a reality and then no, no, that's no, that's great. Because you're going to need help. There's going <laughs> we're going to need some support if that's your goal. We're going right. to figure this out. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> right, right. No, no, we'll, we'll have to put a plan in place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. No, no, no. I think that's great. And again, I loved your descriptive word, gift. It's a gift to those residents, because I will add this: it's not uncommon for many of the residents who live in subsidized housing to have uh, not been asked most of their lives what it is they want and assumptions made regarding what they should do. Right. And so for someone to respect them enough to say, tell me what it is you would like to see happen, I think would be huge and I'll use your word and would be an absolute gift. So I think that's, I think that, I think that's a, that's a great, piece of advice I think we could even end on. What do you think, Dan? I think that's great. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for Thank you, Stephanie. joining us. I hope you enjoyed your, your first podcast experience. You were great. And uh, I know the service coordinators are going to get a lot out of this. Um, you gave a lot of great advice and insights. So uh, I can't wait to hear back from them and see what they think. So thank you so much for coming on, Stephanie. You're thank welcome. you, Stephanie. Okay. All right. Thanks, Matt. All right. Talk to you later. All right, we'll see you guys. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you. Bye.